welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Mike, one of the leaders here, yeah, by the way. And I just want to say, first of all, where's Jeff? Jeff, thank you for making my dream come true and having a cello <laughs> on the stage. Since we started Trinity Life Church, I've wanted a cello. <laughs> Christmas miracle. Like, thank you, or thank you, Jeff, Adam. I don't know who pushed you to do like. <laughs> You didn't even have, you weren't even looking at anything, right? You're just like going, professional. So yeah, that was, that was awesome. We should just have a session with Jeff on the cello. Right. Can you sing? <laughs> Same time. <laughs> uh, so that was, that was so great. Um, and man, Darren, where, can you not play any instrument? Like, that's like the, I think that's the, that's the third instrument we've seen Darren play up there. So um, yeah, that was, that was really awesome. Way to set the, the tone for the sermon today. Guys, we're finishing this series. We've been in since September, right? So we've been going through Ephesians since September, and the series is called Uprising. And, and we, we've been talking about spiritual warfare and how the primary battleground for spiritual warfare is the mind. And and uh, we've, we've talked about rising, a whole bunch of rising things that we want to see happen in the church and that Ephesians is, is trying to do in us as, as Paul is writing this letter to the church. So now we're in Advent season and we've talked about rising strength, rising boldness, <clears throat> rising something else. And today we're talking about rising love. And, and uh, it's just so, it's actually so perfect for this season uh, because in Advent we're in this season of expectation. We're in the season of, of expecting God to do something. That's what Advent, Advent means like this beginning. And, and when Jesus comes down to earth, something begins. And so wherever you are today, whether you're a follower of Jesus or, or you're not, um, uh, something is, God wants to begin something in your heart today. So um, yeah, let's just, let's jump into this passage. It's a, Paul is closing this letter. And so I'm actually not going to deal with those first two verses. I'm going to deal with the last two verses. Uh, but thank you for being here today. Gosh, it's, it's so good to see you guys. I know we have a lot of people out, family, all those things. But my family is here today, my mom and my dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my sister and her husband, Jonathan, are here with their two daughters. Um, yeah, sure. You can clap for them, too. I can see those of you who aren't clapping, by the way. So, <laughs> um, uh, my sister, she's my twin sister, and growing up, uh, we both had blankets. I had a white blanket, and she had a pink blanket. And uh, when I had Emerson, I gave Emerson my white blanket that I had growing up. And she, she doesn't like it, though, because it's not pink, so she never really used it. But when Reagan was born, and we weren't really attached to our blankets, um, 
you know, we had them, but we used to use them to ride down the stairs on them or, you know, something like that. We didn't, like, sleep with them or take them everywhere. We weren't like um, Linus on, on Charlie Brown, right? We didn't take it everywhere. But uh, my sister Diane gave Reagan her pink blanket when Reagan was born. And, and Reagan is like Linus. She loves that thing. She, she, she just has it all the time. In fact, when I woke her up this morning, and she sleeps with her every night, when I woke her up this morning, um, she saw me, and she had this panic look in her eyes, because pink, her, her pink blanket wasn't there. And then she found it, and she's like, ah, oh, calm again. So she, she loves the thing. She's like destroyed it. You can almost see through it. It's like translucent now. Uh, thing, and the thing about this blanket is uh, she calls it pink blankie. And it's not the pink blankie or a pink blankie. Like, there's no article. It's like it's a person. It's like, where is pink blankie? How is pink blankie? Like, well, I, there's no, it's not like an object, right? With an object, you say, where's the pencil? Where's a pen? She's like, no, that's its name, Pink Blanky. Uh, so about a, a few years ago, um, Reagan, was, uh, Reagan was standing on, on my bed, and she lifted her arms out to me for me to hold her, so I picked her up, and I'm, I'm cuddling her. I'm, and it's just one of those really sweet times where I was just like thanking Jesus for her, and, and she's kind of like nuzzling her, her head on my chest. And, and she says, I could just lay on you forever. And I'm like, that is so amazing. Like, that's just so sweet. And, and I have my eyes closed, right? So I'm, I'm just worshiping and praying Jesus, to Jesus and, and thanking Jesus. And, and I look up and I open my eyes and I look and she's holding pink blankie. And I was like, wait a second. Are you talking to me or Pink Blanky? And she says, Pink Blanky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Jesus came down, when Jesus stepped out of heaven, comes down to earth, he comes in the form of, 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 a, of a human, of a baby, right? And, and he's born in this manger. And, and, and he comes to us with, with nothing. And, and Jesus comes to rescue us. He's, he's pursuing you this morning. He's, he's seeking after you this morning. Like, yes, he came 2,000 years ago, but this morning, he's, he's trying to draw you to himself. He's trying to, to say, I'm here for you. He's trying to show you his love this morning. And... And Jesus is trying to scoop us up like that. And he's trying to hold us in his arms, right? The Father has his arms wide open. And, 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 we, and, and Jesus is holding us. And we could say, oh, I could lay here forever. And Jesus looks down, and we're holding something else. And this morning, as we talk about rising love, there's, there may be something in you this morning that is separating you from the full love of the Father, from, from really experiencing a love of Jesus this Christmas season, this Advent season. And it's your pink blankie. It's something you're holding on to when you're saying, I could lay on you forever, I could be with you forever, but Jesus looks down and you're actually holding something else. And for some of you, that's a sin. For some of you, that's your pride. For some of you, that's uh, um, greed. That is pornography. That is 
lust that is, that is some sin that you're just holding on to. It's unforgiveness, it's bitterness, it's, it's something that you're holding on to instead of Jesus. For some of you, it's, it's, a, um, it's a desire. It's, it's a, uh, a, good, a good life. I just want a good job. I just want a good place, a good house. I just want to live comfortably. For some of you, it's, it's not a desire or, or sin. It's, it's like an idol. It's achievement, it's success, it's if I had this position, if, I, if people thought about me this way, if I had this sense of affirmation. Uh, for some of you, it's just lies from spiritual warfare. It's, it's the lies you're believing that if I only had this, I'd find fulfillment and fill in the blank for you. It's, it's a lie of, oh, I'll never be good enough. And, and that's, this morning, that's separating you from the love of Christ. That's separating you from the abundant life that Jesus came down to give us. And this morning as we talk about rising love, and like I said, we've hit rising unity, we've done rising faith, rising hope, rising strength, boldness, intimacy, identity, destiny, and, and now rising love, I want you to consider what is separating you from experiencing that love this morning and come to Jesus with open hands. So let's, let's jump into this passage um, as we talk about rising love. The bottom line for this morning is, is this. It is love incorruptible creates faith indestructible. Love incorruptible, incorruptible creates faith indestructible. And I'm gonna explain that throughout here. So Paul starts off in the, past, in the last two verses with how he started the book in the first two verses. He starts it off, or he ends it, with grace and peace, and that's how he started Ephesians, the letter to Ephesians. He says in verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end, in verse 23, he says, peace be to the brothers. Verse 24, he says, grace be with all. And he, he creates a sort of uh, bookend there on his letter. But the crux of these two verses isn't grace and peace, it's actually love. He mentions love three different times in these two verses. So peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith. So that's the first love, love with faith. And he connects it to two people, to being from two people, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father, uh, it's a, that's a personal statement there. That's a personal statement that God isn't this um, transcendent, far away being who doesn't know anything about us, but he's our father. He is, he's here, he's, he's, he's trying to love us, he's trying to pull us into his arms. It, and so Paul's establishing this personal, intimate relationship with God the Father, but then he calls Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord doesn't seem so personal, right? I mean, we don't, we don't really live in a country with lords, uh, but uh, when we think about Lord, we think about someone, we, we think about separation, not really connection, right? We think, we think oh, that's someone who's higher, that's someone who's, who's further away. But, but Paul uses this because throughout the whole book, he's kind of redefined this for us. So in Ephesians chapter 5, he shows us a Lord who lays his life down, who gives himself up. In Ephesians chapter 4, he shows us he shows us a, a king who humbles himself. In Ephesians chapter two, he shows us a God who becomes like us. 
and takes on flesh, right? In Ephesians chapter one, he shows us a rescuer who actually sacrifices himself. So when he says the Lord Jesus Christ, he's building off of all those things, someone who's laid their life down in humility, who sacrificed themselves, who has become like us and taken on flesh and was broken in that flesh and, and has uh, made peace for us. And then someone who lays his life down in Ephesians chapter five. So that's a different understanding of Lord, right? That's someone who has totally put themselves down and God in, Ephesians, in Philippians chapter two says has exalted as, as the Lord. And then, and then he also says in verse 24 that uh, he says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we talked about Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says, grace be to those who love Jesus, who love our Lord. And grace, the simple definition is, we've used this before, but a simple definition is, grace is, is getting what uh, you don't deserve, right? So we receive grace, we don't deserve it, but God still gives us things that we don't deserve. We are, we are broken, we are hopeless without him, we are undeserving, but, but he says, no, I'm still gonna give that to you despite all that. And for some of you guys, grace isn't a problem because... Because you, you already think that way. You're, you're like, well, I don't deserve it. So, yeah, you understand God's grace. Some of you guys, and this is kind of our Christmas season we're in, you, you actually think you do deserve it. And Christmas is kind of built on this, right? Our, our culture of Christmas, I should say. Not, not uh, Christmas in the biblical sense, but our culture of Christmas. I mean, just look at your, the advertisements right now, the commercials, the billboards, uh, all those things, it's built on getting what you deserve. It's, it's saying, oh, I deserve this, so yeah, you deserve this, so let's give this to you. Yeah, I deserve a car, so all those Lexus commercials. I deserve this, I, I deserve, that's never happened to anybody that I know, by the way, where they walk out Christmas morning and see a, see a Lexus in the driveway with a big red bow on it. Um, uh, even, even things like uh, when you open Christmas presents, right? You, your reaction betrays the, the way you think you deserve something, right? Because you open it and you're less than satisfied. It's not exactly what you thought you were gonna get. And outside you're like, oh, thank you so much, that's so great. Inside you're like, what were they thinking? Why would they get me that? Do they even know me? And, and your reaction even betrays that. The whole premise of Santa Claus is predicated on getting what you deserve, right? It's, it's you've been good, so you deserve to get good things. The gospel doesn't work that way. In the gospel, we don't deserve anything. We didn't deserve for Jesus to step out of heaven and come down to us and give up everything for us. But in God's grace, he gives it to us. And Paul here says, that should evoke love in us. That should do something in us, where when we see someone who, who, who didn't have to give us something and they gave up everything, humbled themselves to the point of death, and that should evoke love in us. That should bring something up out of us. So he says here, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, and then the third love, with love incorruptible. This is a peculiar phrasing. This is a peculiar, it's a peculiar word, love incorruptible. It's not used very much in the scriptures, um, and I think this is the only time it's used for love. So here we have, uh, and Paul ends his letter that way. 
right? We've been talking about spiritual warfare, and we've been talking about uh, the church and all these things that you rise up in the church, and Paul ends with love, incorruptible. And that word means, it can also mean uh, immortal, so never-ending, never-ceasing, lasts forever, and it also has this, has this connotation of it can't be sullied, right? It can't be corrupted. It can't be broken. It can't be made impure. It can't be destroyed. That's the type of love that Jesus comes to show us. That's the type of love that he's come to give us. That's the type of love that he displayed when he stepped out of heaven, came down in the form of a baby, and then all the way through his life until he died on the cross and was resurrected. That's the type of love that, that he's shown us. But in this passage, as you can see, this isn't talking about Christ's love for us. This is talking about your love for Christ. That's completely different, isn't it? How many of you guys can say you have a love for Christ that's incorruptible? How many of you can say that I love Jesus and that love has never been broken, it never will be broken, it won't be sullied, it won't be made impure, it won't, it won't um, be corrupted, it won't be destroyed, and it will last forever. Because Paul says here, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's our love for Christ. How do we do that? How do we have a love incorruptible that creates a faith indestructible? I mean, how do we have that type of love that Jesus had for us? Can we do that? The answer's not as hard as you think. We're gonna go through, them, through some scripture verses here. And so, Josh, just pull these up whenever I tell you to. So let's go to that, that first one here. This is 1 John. So here's the foundation of our incorruptible love for Jesus. Because, guys, the Ephesian believers actually struggled with this. Paul ends with this to them, but in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, we see Jesus talking to um, <clears throat> the church at Ephesus, and he says, I have this thing against you. And this thing he has against them is that they don't love like they did at first anymore. They gave it up. They gave up their first love. And he says, I have that against you. So even Ephesians, these, these believers at Ephesus, they struggled with this. They struggled to have this love that was incorruptible, that never ended. So this foundation for us, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. So Jesus steps out of heaven, and the only way we can love, the only, the only means of that love for us is, is through Jesus Christ. It's because we see it in him. It's because he loved us first. That, that, that's the only way possible that we could even begin to have a love that's incorruptible. So when I say that, that uh, it should evoke something in us, it's because Jesus has placed it in us. Okay, so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we all have that seed of love that he's placed in us. And it's because he first loved us. Let's go to the next verse. This is Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Jesus is asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he responds with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so real simple, right? Jesus says all the, all the commandments hinge on these two things. Love God and love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. You can't love neighbor unless you love God, right? Loving God flows into loving your neighbor. And, and he says, just, just start there. And love, love the Lord your God with, with everything. With everything that you are is basically what he's saying. Let's go to the next verse. 1 John 4, 20 through 21 This is going off loving your neighbor. So if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has not, whom he has, sorry, for he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So John spent time with Jesus, and then now he's kind of expounding on, on this and says, if you love God, you're gonna love your brother. So this morning, some of you in here are saying, I love Jesus, and I've experienced the love of Jesus, but there's a broken relationship for you, and, and you're not showing love in that relationship. Go mend that, go mend that. If, because this is saying, if, if you say you love God, then you will love your brother or your sister. And if you don't, then you're a liar. So, so he's saying one flows out of the other and the other is inherently connected back to the first one. Okay, loving God, loving your neighbor. Second, or next, next verse. This is 1 Corinthians 13. This is like the, the quintessential love passage in the scriptures that everyone knows. I'm sure you've heard it at a wedding before. This is actually in the context of spiritual gifts in the letter to the Corinthian church um, and comes right in between the list of spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and then prophecy and tongues passage in chapter 14 is this passage. And he says, if we can't operate in our gifts in this way, then we're just noisy gongs clanging cymbals. And he says, our love should look like this. Notice when I read this, none of this is about feelings. You know, when we talk about rising love in the church, I'm not talking about feelings. I'm not talking about you have to feel love for somebody, okay? I'm gonna talk more about that in a second. He says, love is patient, love is kind. They're all characteristics. Love does not envy or boast. It isn't arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. See, guys, these are all choices. You can either choose to rejoice with the truth or not rejoice with the truth. You can choose to be irritable or not be irritable. You can choose uh, love that is patient and kind, or you can choose love that is frustrating. Like, you, you get to choose these, these are all choices. And he says love bears all things, a choice, believes all things, a choice, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. Let's go to the next, next one. John 15, 13, this is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he's, he's about to be crucified. And he says to them, greater love, no, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So we see choice and action here, right? We have this, this idea of rising love, this incorruptible love, and, and the scriptures are showing us what this looks like, how it plays out, how we actually live this out in our lives. And it's lived out by, by action, by choosing love, by doing these things, by laying your life down 
for your friends, for your brother, for your sister, because that's what Jesus did for us, right? He steps out of heaven, and he lays his life down at the very beginning for us. Next, next verse. Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus saying, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. How do we do that? That's one of the hardest passages in the scriptures. When Jesus says, love your enemies, well, you can't do that if it's based on feeling. Right? If they're your enemies, you're probably not gonna feel like you should love them or you can love them. It's based on choice and action. And that choice happens sometimes even when we don't feel it. So he says, it even looks like this for our enemies. Next, next verse. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Follow me through the entirety of this. He says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. And this is, this is the Christmas season right here. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That big theological word there just means that he took on the entirety of, of God's wrath for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, right? So this is God first loving us. Now we love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. It's incorruptible. It's, it's unending. It's never ceasing. And then the last, the last one here, 1 Corinthians 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so we see here, is there another one, Josh? Is that it? We see here that, that this love that's incorruptible that Paul is talking about should create a faith that's indestructible. And it's not our love that we generate, guys. Even though Paul says we love with that love, it's the love that we've seen Christ give us, and when, when he gives it to us, we receive it, and then we can give it. Missy loves, loves, loves Christmas songs. Like, she's, she waits for the whole year to play Christmas music. And she's always like, now? Like, is it, is it time? And I'm like, it's too early. It's too early. Um, and uh, she, she loves playing it all through the year, like in the car, in the house, like wherever we are, she's, she's listening to it, playing Christmas music. And we love, um, probably our favorite, one of our favorite albums is Future of Forestry's, Chris, do you guys know Future of Forestry? They're Christmas albums. Has a lot of cello in it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of cello, a string, um, and, and uh, but even Future of Forestry can't, even they can't make Silent Night like likable for me. Silent Night is one of my <laughs> least favorite Christmas songs, carols, and it's because it's it's um it's it's pretty slow, right? It's pretty slow. It's kind of boring, uh, and I actually think it's a little soft. Uh, so here's here's the first stanza, and this is 
This is Silent Night, I'm not gonna sing it. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, I don't even know what that means. Uh, anyone know what that means? Uh, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. And I, and I hear that, and I'm just like, ah, oh, it's so, yeah, it, it, just, it's, it just seems soft, and it's boring, it's slow. A few years ago, when Emerson was five, so about three years ago, Emerson was singing this. And so she was singing Silent Night, and, and I don't know where she heard it, because I it wasn't for me. Uh, she's singing. She got to this last part, sleep in heavenly peace. And she said, sleep in heavenly beast. And I was like, what did she say? And she says again, sleep in heavenly beast. And I was like, she just said beast. And, and I'm like, I'm laughing. And I, and I asked her, I was like, hey, hey, sweetie, who's the heavenly beast? And without even blinking, she says, Jesus, of course. And I was like, oh man, that's actually so amazing and beautiful. And actually the next two stands of the silent night reflect this truth. So it's silent night, holy night, son of, God's, son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Guys, when he was born, he was already Lord. Jesus, Lord at his birth. Go to the next stanza. Silent night, holy night. Shepherds quake at the sight. Glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. When Jesus steps out of heaven into our world, it wasn't some obscure silent night. Like, it wasn't some obscure time where, like, nobody knew what was happening. Guys, when he stepped into the world, spiritual warfare happened. When he stepped into the world, these shepherds were quaking. When he stepped into the world, the world changed. Uh, he rocked the world. He, he started ushering in a new kingdom. He started flipping the world upside down. When Jesus stepped in and, and he came into the world, uh, people were afraid. It's why the angels, when they appear to people, they say, don't be afraid. It wasn't some baby Cupid with a bow and arrow with, with wings on his back and a diaper. It was like Gabriel the archangel, like announcing the birth of Christ. It was like a host of angels announcing the birth of Christ. It was warriors doing this. And this wasn't some silent night. It was a heavenly beast that came out of heaven into our world to change the world to change the atmosphere, to change the environment, to change the culture, to resurrect us, to rescue us, to take us from death to life, to, to put love incorruptible into us so that we would have a faith that's indestructible. And Jesus, when he, when he comes down, guys, he, he, is, he starts already changing cultural and societal norms. He's born to a teenager out of wedlock. He's born around a bunch of dirty animals. He's born to a poor family. He's born in a stable. He's born in a manger, right, a feeding trough. That's what that is. We've kind of like, we've kind of made it, made it sound glamorous, but it's a feeding trough. Like, animals were eating out of it. Like, and, and when he was born, I don't know, for those of you guys that are new moms in here, like, it was no silent night when your kids are born, right? 
I mean, there's probably screaming going on. There's, there's, there's a lot of pain happening. There, there is a lot of things going on. And your baby, when he first comes out, he's like crying. Can you imagine Christ's cry when he comes into this world? How glorious that was and how it just pierced the darkness. When Jesus comes in the world, that's what he comes into, piercing the darkness through spiritual warfare. Because when he came in the world, light came into the world. And that light, the darkness will never overcome. And Jesus descended from a line of kings, of prophets, of patriarchs, but he also descended from a line of adulterers and thieves and murderers and, and Gentiles and, uh, and people who just were the, the, the um, just the low parts of society, and God used to redeem and justify and count as righteous. And so, wherever you are today, we've entered into that story. Whatever your background is, whatever your history is, whether, whether you're on the king's side of it or you're on the slum side of it, like God has come for you. Jesus has come for you this morning, and he wants love to rise in you this morning because when he came into the world, that's what he planted into the world. And when he comes in, he comes in with nothing, and he comes naked. And when he dies on a cross 33 years later, he's naked and has nothing. And so when you come to Jesus today, when we approach this table today, this communion table, come naked with nothing. Whatever that pink blankie is that you're holding, release it and put it down for Jesus. So you can experience that love that's incorruptible so that you can give that love that's incorruptible. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for stepping out of heaven for us. We didn't deserve it. We weren't even looking for it or asking for it. You gave us something that we didn't even know we needed. And this morning, as we celebrate you, this season as we celebrate you and your birth, remind us of that love, not to hoard, not to hold, but to receive and to give. Lord Jesus, make us a church that, that loves you incorruptibly. Make us a church that has a faith that, that is strong and stands firm. Lord Jesus, thank you for your willingness and your obedience. Thank you for showing us this love. And we just operate in it. Produce your fruit in us, Spirit. This morning as we celebrate you, Jesus, and what you've done on the cross for us. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.